0: Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we believe in you. There is power in you. And there is power in your word. We pray that you will speak to us this morning through your spirit. And Father, give us the courage to follow you no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take out your study guides inside your bulletins. As usual, you will find the words that are inside the um, the blanks will be underlined on the screen. You notice the title of the message is A Shaking Part 2. So two weeks ago, we um, started talking about this message. It's something that is commonly known in Adventism. That is known as the sifting of the church or the shaking of the church. And by the way, uh, um, again, this is a, as you'll see, this is a, a grim at times, strong topic. So be praying for me and praying for yourselves as we, as we uh, talk about this today. Just as a matter of review... Uh, We saw last time that God illustrates in his word the separation between the real followers of God, his real followers, and those who are fake, those who simply give lip service. And he does this by the winnowing, the the sifting, just like the farmer would uh, uh, separate the wheat and the chaff. So God uses this this, uh, harvest process to illustrate how he's going to do the judgment and separate the true from the fake. And we talked about the reason why this is necessary. Why is there a, there a need for a shaking of the church? And we saw it from the writings of Mrs. White, uh, Last Day of Inch, page 173. Notice what it says. The Lord is soon to come. Amen. Do you believe that Jesus is coming soon? Yes. She wrote that 100, over 100 years ago, and certainly more true today. The Lord is soon to come. There must be a refining, winnowing process. Where? In, not in the church, but in every church. In every church. Why, for there are among us wicked men who do not love the truth or honor God. And we saw that last time. It simply means that there are people in some churches, in every church, that basically are fake. There are wicked men, wicked people, who do not honor God. And we, and we talked about the fact that Satan has counterfeits. And a counterfeit, for a counterfeit to work, a counterfeit must be almost identical to the real thing. We saw that Satan has counterfeits in every church. People who look like the real thing but aren't. And so because of that, God has to do this the shaking process. But we also saw in, in, in the words of Jesus in Matthew 13, and specifically the parable of the wheat and the tares, that it is God who does the winnowing. That it is God who does the shaking, that it isn't the pastor of the church. And I thank God for that, because I would mess it up, royally mess it up. But according to Ellen White, we saw that fact that, that this uh, process of shaking, it is a future event. It is something that we can expect in the future, but it's something that has already started. Remember, she said that in her time, over 100 years ago, this shaking process has started. So we can argue that the shaking process, maybe in a smaller scale, has already started, but we can expect this to happen at a greater scale in the future. In the future. And so the question that we ended with last time is, is, what is you know, what's, how, how is this shaking going to take place? What kind of things can we expect to see in, in the world around us, but more prim- primarily in the church, that will cause the shaking? That's what we're going to look at today. Before we go into this, let me remind you that the shaking is prophetic. The shaking is prophetic. It has happened. It is happening. And it will happen. The shaking is not a conditional prophecy. You know, there's conditional prophecies. If something happens, then this other, something else is going to take place. This is not a conditional prophecy. This has happened. It is happening right now. And it will happen. You can take that to the bank. Amen. You can take it to the bank. Again, from Last of Events, page 173, notice what she says. There will be a shaking of the sieve. Notice that it's not there may be. It is there will be a shaking of the sieve. The chaff must in time be separated from the wheat. Why? Well, because iniquity abounds. The love of many waxes cold, and it is in this very time when the genuine will be the strongest. So there will be a shaking. There will be, the chaff must be separated. Why? Because iniquity abounds. And as we saw from the previous uh, uh, text, it is in every church. It is in every church. Interesting, though, that when the shaking takes place, the true, the genuine, will actually stand strong and be the strongest during that time. Yeah. Friends, this is indeed a solemn issue. But it is something, it isn't something we do. God does it for us, and praise God for that. He has a good reason for it. So what kind of things can we expect to see happening around us that will cause the shaking? And what can we learn from them? What can we learn from them? So let's look at the first one. The first one, the straight testimony produces the shaking. Now I know right now you're thinking, well, Pastor, what is that straight testimony? So we'll get into that. The straight testimony will cause some to be shaken out. Notice from the first volume of Testimonies, page 181. I asked the meaning of the shaking I had seen, and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. So this is obviously has to do with a message to the church of Laodicea, all right? There will, this will have its effect upon the heart of the receiver and will lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. Some, notice, some will not bear this straight testimony and they will rise up against it and cause a shaking among God's people. So there's a message that's going to be delivered, that needs to be delivered. The message to the church of Laodicea, and as this message of truth has been delivered, there are those who stand for the truth, but there are those who won't, hear, won't want to hear it. Amen. And those that won't want to hear it will rise up against it, notice, and the shaking will take place. So what is the straight testimony? What is the straight testimony? So let's analyze the words. The word straight can be defined... As being candid, honest, undiluted, accurate to the point, or direct. All right, so that's what straight means. Then the word testimony means uh, uh, evidence, witness, statement, and authentication, proof, divine decree, or solemn declaration. So, so, so if we put all this together in the context of the statement that we just read from the uh, from, from first volume of testimonies, we could say, friends, then, that the straight testimony is a divine declaration. It is something that is accurate, and it comes with the full authority of heaven. So in other words, now notice this, friends. This is important. The straight testimony is calling the wrong wrong. Amen. Imagine that. Calling the wrong, wrong. We certainly don't see much of that these days, now do we? We live in a time, friends, when there is too much political correctness. There used to be a time when what was right was right. The Bible said it was right. There was no arguing about it because the Bible said so. There was a time when, when you know, if the Bible said something was wrong, is wrong, there's no argument about it. That's not the case anymore, now is it? Today, what's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right, and don't you dare argue against it. Don't you stand and say that this is wrong, because they call you every name under the sun. And unfortunately, this has creeped into the church. Political correctness. There are standards that used to be, you know, there there are standards in the church. We still have standards in the church, by the way. But many are arguing against the standards of the church. Well, well, maybe we need to reinterpret that pastor. Yeah, that's the way it used to be, but times have changed. And the church should change with the times. I would argue, no, the standards are the same. Calling the wrong wrong. Telling it like it is. But notice, the straight testimony, according to Mrs. White, is, is the counsel of the witness or the true witness to the Laodiceans. So this has to do with a message to the church of Laodicea. We, we've talked about this several months ago. So what is the message to the church of Laodicea? Let's look it up. Revelation chapter 3, in verses 15 through 19 You'll see it on the screen, but you can look into in your Bibles too. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 19, the message to the church of Laodicea. The Bible says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, uh, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Now it's important to understand, my friends, that the message to the church of of Laodicea is a a description of Christianity in the time of the end. Now, are we living in the time of the end? Are you sure? I think it's pretty clear. So if that's the case, then the, the message to the church of Laodicea is the description of us. You and me. Notice again, it's, it really we can say it's a description of Christianity in general. Uh, if, you, if you follow the message to the seven churches, each church describes a period and a history of Christianity, and so the same thing with the last church. But there's no question about the fact that the church of Laodicea also represents Adventism. Mrs. White is very clear on that. Traditionally, we have said sometimes with pride, oh, we are the church of Laodicea," like that's a good thing. It isn't a good thing. It certainly is not something to be proud of. In fact, if you were to follow the, the messages to the, the seven churches, you will notice that the first five churches, God says something positive about each church, even though he says something negative. So you rebukes him. Listen, you got some, You got to work on this. But he says something positive. The exception to that is this church number six, Philadelphia, where God only says something positive about the church. There's nothing negative about the church of Philadelphia. Oh, if we were just the church of Philadelphia today, and then the church of Laodicea, there's nothing positive about it. Everything is negative. And that's us. That's a description of us. We should not be proud of this. So, in a nutshell, the true witness is telling us that we are not what we should be, that we are not where we should be. The true witness is telling us that we are compromising. We think we're good, we think that there's no problems with us, we're fooling ourselves, we don't realize that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We can't see our true condition. This is why he says, listen, I, I anoint your eyes with salve, so you may see. Because we're not seeing. Because we don't realize exactly where we are. Now some of you may be thinking, now pastor, this, kind, this sermon sounds kind of negative already. But I told you already, the message of the church of the Lord to has nothing positive about it. It's all negative. And, and, and the reason, uh, uh, you know, this is why God says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. See, the reason he's calling this to our attention is because he loves us. Because he wants something better for his church in the time of the end. I love you, but I, 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 I got to apply it. You need to realize where you are. So it's high time, my friends, for us to start... Stop being politically correct with ourselves and tell it like it is. We need to wake up, friends, because we are not what God wants us to be. We are not where God wants us to be. If we're honest with ourselves, notice we are not truly surrendered and committed. If we are honest with ourselves. You know, when when, when these things happen around our world, things that we we are, uh, are to expect because Jesus talked about it, but the reason God allows, one of the reasons God allows this is for us to wake up, to watch, to do something about what's happening and prepare to meet him. But unfortunately, the reality is that we have become exactly like Jesus said, just like the days of Noah. We are living life as usual, like nothing's happening, and regardless of the coming calamity. Jesus is coming soon and we're still living life as usual. You know... COVID-19, if anything, should have waken us up and we're still used to it anymore. Ah, That's no big deal. We're not where we are. We need to be friends. It's no wonder Jesus ends the message to the church of Laodicea with this passage, our scripture reading, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You know, we know that passage, some of us, by, by, we, can, we say it verbatim. Maybe if I were to go to your houses, we, you would have a nice picture uh, uh, in your living room with, with Jesus knocking at the door. And we're so proud of it, and, but we, do we really analyze what Jesus is saying. Because this is, this is still part of the message of the Church of Laodicea. He is knocking out. So the implication, friends, he's knocking, he's outside the door. The implication is you're not letting him in. He is outside of our lives. He wants to come in, and we're like, well, I wonder who it is. Like, a, you know, you've probably seen this in, on TV, or maybe this is happening in your own house. You get a phone call. You don't want to answer the phone, right, because you know the creditors are calling. So you tell little Johnny, hey, Johnny. Tell him I'm not home. And little Johnny picks up the phone. My mommy says she's not home. You know, in our, where we live in Alverne, we have uh, every once in a while, well, occasionally enough, I would say, uh, representatives from AT&T come to our house. And, you know, we've had, we have had a very bad experience with AT&T in the past, so we, have not, we don't, do, you know, don't want to have anything to do with them. But, you know, every once in a while they come because they want to, you know, we're installing this new line. is going to be great. So we don't really want to answer when, when they're there. And so we have the ring, the ring camera on, on in, in the porch so we can see who's at the door. So we know it's the AT&T guy. He can knock. We're, not, we're home, but we're not answering the door. Because we don't want to hear what he has to say. So we just wait for him to leave. We're doing the same thing with Jesus, friends. We're looking at our, our, our phone and say, oh, who is it? It's Jesus. He's right there. He's knocking at the door. I know what Jesus wants, and I'm not ready for it right now. And so we, we, he knocks and knocks, and eventually he leaves because you didn't open the door. This is what Jesus is saying. He's outside. We have left him outside, and we think it's okay. This is a truth, a truth that, that, that we should not be afraid of proclaiming, my friends. And the reality is that as this truth is proclaimed, some people will not like it. Some people will not like when you call the wrong wrong. We're talking about the church, friends. Some people will not like it, and according to the Spirit of prophecy, some will leave. They will be shaken out. But the stray testimony produces a shaking. Here's the second one. The second phase, the second thing we have to look for, false doctrines will cause some to deviate false doctrines will cause some to be shaken out notice from the book evangelism page 593 I've been warned that henceforth we shall have a constant contest notice there is a contest going on science so-called and religion will be placed in opposition to each other because finite men do not comprehend the power and the greatness of God isn't that interesting we hear a lot about the the controversy between science and faith these days. And some say, well, we need to follow science. Some say, no, we need to follow faith. And there's that, there shouldn't be a context, but there is. Okay? And I'm not going to get into the, the details about the controversy between science and, and and faith right now. But there's always been an, an issue. And, 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 and although we're thankful for our scientists and those because God is giving them the ability and, and, and the intelligence and all that. Let's not forget that it is science who's trying to convince us that God did not create the world in six days. And this is an issue happening in Adventism right now. There are some of our, our few, not many, but a, a, maybe a handful, if, if you will, of our institutions of higher learning. We're talking about Adventist institutions of higher learning. They are no longer teaching creation as the, as the explanation of how God created the world. No no, evolution or theistic evolution. Oh, why? Because, you know, that's what science says. We need to, we, we need to match with what scientists are saying. And friends, it's a compromise. This is a compromise. This causes confusion and division. But it isn't, it isn't just this issue of science. There's false doctrines out there, friends. And we need to be paying attention to these false doctrines. So here's an example again, no longer believing in literal creation. This is, by the way, if you think that not believing in a literal creation is not going to affect everything else you believe, you have another thing coming. Because this is like a domino effect. You disregard this, everything else is gonna fall. It's just the way it is. But there are others, friends, and I think it's important to mention them. You got the shepherd's rod. And, and you know, these are, are some movements, apostate movements that rise up within Adventism. And again, the purpose is to seek and to destroy and to divide and to confuse. I've had to deal with this situation extensively in my previous district. And I understand that before I got to this church, you all had to deal with it too. Sometimes we need to take a strong stand against those that are seeking to divide and to confuse. I understand that that the pastor Santos who was before me here he actually took this to the you know and, and wrote a letter specifically this is the same thing the same way I addressed it in my previous district a certified letter to to those that subscribe to this and tell them straight like it is we love you and appreciate you but if you're coming here to spread this stuff we will call the police and have you squirt it out that's just the way it is you need to stand for truth because friends Satan is using these things we cannot allow it you know just shepherds rod is one example <clears throat> By the way, this is just, you know, they have different theologies, but it, it just uh, uh, it contradicts what we know as truth. You have the 2520 movement. The 2520 movement, some of you may or may not have heard of this. But again, this is uh, um, uh, just like the anti-Trinitarians that I mentioned to you before, that are, are very into, are the original, the church pioneers who are right about Everything. And so this is where it goes to. Uh, William Miller was studying <clears throat> this prophecy of 2520. It's actually on the original 1843 chart, uh, where you find that the statue of Nebuchadnezzar in the 1843 chart, the so 2520 is there. But this is, as, as we talked about before with the anti-Trinitarians, the, the uh, original pioneers were growing in their knowledge and their faith. Okay? And again, we need to be careful, because what's happening uh, two weeks ago... One of our, our deacons gave me a little card. It's like a business card that he said, Pastor, I found this in one of the hymnals. And, and I looked at it. Okay, well, I probably know what that is all about because when people come to the church and they, and they seek to spread their beliefs without talking to the pastor and do it secretly, there must be an agenda with it. You've got to watch out. And I looked it up. I looked it up. And sure enough, it was from the 2520 people. So they come to the church... They visit, you know, and we love visitors when they come, but they have an agenda and they they try to do these things. Why? It's because they want to confuse you. They want to confuse you. You have the last generation theology. I've mentioned this before. This is an emphasis on perfection. Uh, The idea that in the end, before Jesus comes, his people will be sinless. And um, again, the issue is grace no longer occupies. And we have dealt with this too, by the way. So uh, a couple of years ago, we had one individual that came here, was an invited guest, and if you remember, some of you may remember, he went out into the parking lot and put DVDs in the cars. Some of you may remember that. I looked at the DVD, and it was, sure enough, it was about this, and I looked at it, there was no mention of Jesus and grace, it was all about that. But this is something that is gaining a lot of traction in Adventism today. And I'm gonna, I, I have a sermon that I'm going to talk about here in a, in, in a couple of months about this very thing. Anti Trinitarians, we've already talked about that. We've addressed, we studied on the Trinity, but this is also gaining traction in our church today. It should should not surprise us, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 30. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, uh, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Knowingly or unknowingly, my friends, the end result of these false theories is that people get confused, they get disgusted, and they leave. They're shaken out. By the way, uh, their theology is a little different, but there are some commonalities between these, these uh, false theories. They all are anti-conference, anti-leadership. They all uh, tell you that if you don't accept their belief, you're not going to be saved. And, and uh, you know, it's just crazy stuff. You name it. We should not be afraid. This is what's happening. Uh, Lastly, events, page 177. Notice. When the shaking comes by the introduction of what? False theories. These surface readers, anchored nowhere, are like the sifting sand. They slide into any position to suit their tenor of their feelings of bitterness. There are people who are bitter, for whatever reasons. And these false theories, why? Because they're surface readers, because we're not grounded in the Word of God, because we're not studying the Word of God. When these false theories come along, they they confuse us, because we don't know what the truth is. And this is what causes it. They sift out. They slide into this position to suit their feelings, friends, the of feelings of bitterness. And friends, I, I again, with love in our hearts, we need to stand for truth. When, when, when We need to be paying attention because they, they do come to the church. For example, Shepherds Rod people, the, their, their strategy is to come into Sabbath school and take over the Sabbath school. They start talking and they, they, they don't let anybody else talk because that's, that's their audience. And this has happened here. Not happening anymore, praise the Lord, but it has happened since I've been pastor. We need to be uh, uh, paying attention and, 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 and with love in our hearts, stand for what is true. Not, let's, let's not allow this to happen in our church. Yeah. Yeah. We need to be, again, into the word of God, understanding, and by the way, studying the spirit of prophecy too. Which, which leads to the third thing, the good segue here. Because the third thing that can cause the shaking is the rejection of the testimonies. That will lead to apostasy, the rejection of the testimonies. Notice from Last of the Events, page 178. The enemy has made his masterly efforts to unsettle the faith of our own people in the testimonies. This is just a Satan design it should be. And those who have been preparing the way for the people to pay no heed to the warnings and reproofs of the testimonies of the Spirit of God, we will see that a tide of errors of all kinds will spring into life. When Mrs. White talks about the testimonies, she is saying that many people will abandon or lose faith in the reliability of the Spirit of prophecy, will cause the shaking. They will no longer believe that the gift of prophecy, or in the gift of prophecy, as manifested in Ellen G. White, This, I wish we could say it's just something in the future, but this is something that's already happening. People, Adventists, who no longer believe in Ellen White as a prophet. Now, I'm going to ask you a a rhetorical question, so you don't have to answer it, you don't have to raise your hand. But I'm asking this question so that you do a self-evaluation, okay? How many of you believe that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy. You think about it. You think about it. Now, in doing my research for this message, I found that 81% of the church, they did this study some time ago, 81% of Adventism believes that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy. And then you may think, well, that's pretty good, Pastor, 81%. But shouldn't it be 100%? And, and that 50% believe that her writings need to be reinterpreted, whatever that means. So as I ask this question, as you're thinking about that yourself, if you believe that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy, some of you may be thinking right now, I don't know. You're answering the question in your mind. Do you believe that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy? You may say, I don't know. Or some of you may be answering the question in your mind do you believe in this, that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy? You may be answering the question no, I don't. And if you're among those who don't know if Ellen White had the gift of prophecy or don't believe that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy, the question is why not? Have you researched the issue? Have you looked into this, friends? Have you read her writings? Because the problem is that instead of reading her writings, many people choose to listen to the, uh, uh, those that have an axe to grind against the church. You type Ellen White on Google, you know, her estate comes out and a lot of truth comes out. But you keep uh, 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 scrolling down and you're going to find a lot of fake news about Mrs. White. And the problem with this is that people, instead of rather looking her up and researching her, looking at her life, reading her writings, oh, no, no, no. They rather believe those heads. Say this, that, and the other about her. And friends, this has happened. I baptize people that have left the church because of that. And I tell you, you know, when we read the baptismal vows, you will know that believing in Ellen White as a prophet, as having the gift of prophecy, is not a test of fellowship. And there is a lot of controversy over that. Some people say they should be a test of fellowship. Some. No, I have my own opinion, but the the reality is, believing in Ellen White as a prophet, if you believe Ellen White's a prophet, that she had the gift of prophecy, it shouldn't be because the pastor says so. It shouldn't be because that's what my parents taught me. If you believe that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy, it's because you searched this out. Because you looked it up. The Bible tells us not to ignore the Spirit. Test all things and keep what is good. And so what I tell people, I tell the baptismal candidates, you know, the baptism baptism will simply highlight, do you believe in in spiritual gifts? And one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of prophecy, okay? But I tell them, listen, you are joining a church that has a prophet, that believes that Ellen White's a prophet. And the only way you're going to find out is if you read what she wrote. Read about her life, read what she wrote, and I can guarantee you'll come to the right conclusion, Friends, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, 19, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. And furthermore, uh, as the Bible identifies God's end-time church, what does it say about it? Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was enraged with a woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And what is the testimony of Jesus? Revelation 19, 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24 that, that there will be many false prophets, and the end, notice, many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And so the implication is that because there's going to be false prophets, there's true prophets as well. Amen. And how are we going to know to, to, to distinguish between both of them? You need to know your word, The Bible, the Bible has plenty of, of, of ways to identify them. But the implication is there are going to be true ones as well. And by the way, Ellen White is not going to be the only prophet before Jesus comes. Do you understand that? Don't take my word for it. Joel uh, Joel 2.28, again, here's the implication, is that there will be uh, true prophets. But notice Joel 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on the flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall do what? Shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Friends, the gift of prophecy being manifested in the time of the end is paramount for our preparation. It is clear that Ellen White will not be the only one that will manifest this gift before the second coming. And if you have an issue with her, I can guarantee you're going to have an issue when the other ones come. It's just no way about out of it. If you're among those who don't do their homework and read her writings, in order to clear out any doubts, you can be shaken out. If you're among those who perhaps... Right now, are convinced, but maybe you're looking at changing your mind because you're looking at the wrong resources, the wrong sources of information. You too can be shaken out. Testimonies, Volume Four, page two eleven. It is Satan's plan to weaken the faith of God's people in the testimonies. Notice that this is this is powerful. This is very important. Next follows skepticism in regard to the vital points of our faith, the pillars of our position then doubt to the Holy Scriptures, and then the downward march to perdition. When the testimonies which were once believed are doubted and given up, Satan knows that the deceived ones will not stop at this. And he redoubles his efforts till he launches them into open rebellion, which becomes incurable and ends in destruction. This goes goes back to what I said earlier. What I said earlier about creation, remember? You know, you, you, you can't think that you are going to say, well, I don't know, I believe in the literal creation story, as the Bible says in six de- literal days, and think that that's not going to affect everything else. It isn't. It's going to affect everything else. It's like a downhill. It's like a roll of dominoes. And she's saying the same thing here. Yes. We lose faith in the testimonies, and guess what's going to happen again? She says, she says, that then follows the skepticism and the vital points of our faith, the pillars of our faith. You start doubting everything we leave, and eventually you start doubting in the scriptures. And that's the road to perdition, she says. That's the road to perdition. So ignoring or losing faith in the testimonies, in the spirit of prophecy, specifically as manifested in Ellen White, can cause you to be shaken. Finally, Persecution. Persecution purifies the church, but it it can cause some to be shaken. Notice from Testimony for the Church, uh, uh, volume 26, page 123 uh, uh, Prosperity multiplies a mass of professors. Adversity purges them out of the church. They are a class whose spirits are are not manifest with God, are not steadfast with God. They go out from among us. Why? Because they were not of us. For when tribulation and and, and persecution arise, because of the word, many are offended. So notice prosperity causes a lot of professors, professors, those who profess the faith, but it it really isn't true. And what happens is when because their faith isn't true, when adversity comes, what happens? They're shaken out. They're shaken out. Now, you may wonder, Pastor, what's wrong with prosperity? Don't we all want prosperity? Yeah, we want the American dream, right? We want uh, to have everything we need and some of the things we want, right? American dream. And this is a multicultural church. We've come from different parts of the world to America seeking the American dream, seeking that prosperity. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. The issue is when we start depending on it. If your life becomes simply the pursuit of of happiness, the pursuit of the American dream, the pursuit of prosperity. We know what happens with that. 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which, we have, we, well, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through the, uh, with many sorrows. Friends, I, I, I've said this many times, that I think this is one of the greatest challenges of our church today, and it is that we as a church have got too busy. We are too busy seeking the American dream. We are too busy seeking the mighty dollar. Friends, I know what I'm talking about. Because that was me, working 12-hour days, six days a week, pursuing the mighty dollar. I had no time for God, certainly not time for my family. And unfortunately, this is the situation of many of our church members. Many, Some of you right now. We're too busy. And so what happens? You know, when when the threat comes, uh, that, that maybe all those things that we've accumulated... You know, there's a threat of those things disappearing. You know, we convince ourselves that maybe what we believe is not all that important. Friends, I believe the last year and a half should be a a wake-up call because it has shown us how easy things will get difficult. It's shown us how easy things will get difficult. The Bible tells us and Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Those who not, have not cultivated a, a relationship with God, who have had other priorities, those who don't have an intimate, loving, faith relationship with Jesus will not survive. They can be shaken out. 1888 Materials, page 901. When the law of God is made void, the church will be sifted by what? Fiery trials. Notice, in a large proportion that we now anticipate will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Instead of being strengthened when brought into the straight places, many prove that they are not living branches of the true vine. They bore no fruit, and the husbandman takes them away. What does it say, friends? It, a large proportion that we now anticipate. In other words, a large proportion that we look at and say, well, you know, there's faithful people. Remember, God, Satan has his counterfeits, but a large proportion of them will leave. Persecution, friends, purifies the church. Persecution can cause some to be shaken out. You know, when we, when we think about these things, many of us may be thinking, well, Pastor, how am I going to survive? What hope is there for me? Because when we, th- when we think about what she's saying, the majority, the majority who are now among us will be shaken out because of these issues. We think that there's no hope. What is there hope for me? But friends, the Bible always has hope. There's always hope when you're a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be shaken out. The secret, notice, is to what? Stay connected to Jesus. That's the secret. There is a connection that you have now, but the secret is to keep the connection. And Jesus says it clearly in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, notice, if anyone does not keep that connection, he is cast out, as a branch that is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. He uses, Jesus uses here the same sort of illustration of the harvest. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide, he is cast out and thrown away and, and burned in the fire. So think about this. If the secret for us is to stay connected to Jesus, And what we see from our study is that that only a minority will be still in the church, will not be shaken out. The issue is that the majority are not abiding in Jesus, they're not staying connected to Jesus. It's no accident that Jesus says, You need to abide in me, you need to keep the connection. We've gotten too busy. We have, we've allowed so many things to get in the way of our lives, that entertainment, work. You name it, we're no longer keeping our connection with Jesus. We're no longer studying the word, we're no longer praying, we're no longer witnessing, certainly, you know, especially now, we're no longer coming to church. Poor things that we need in order to grow spiritually and keep our connection with Jesus. And clearly many are not. And this is the secret. This is the secret. Stay connected to Jesus. This may seem kind of a hopeless situation, but again, I said there is nothing hopeless. Notice, Last Day of Events, page 180. The church may appear as it is about to fall, but it does not fall. It remains. While the sinners in Zion will be sifted out, the chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is an important thing to, to comment on. So I mentioned, some of the, uh, these false doctrines that are out there, and, and part of the, their, their logic and, and some of the things that they share is that, oh, oh, no, you need to leave the church. The faithful will leave the church. That's what they say. Not according to Mrs. White. But according to Mrs. White, it is the sinners that are sifted out. It is the chaff that is taken out of the church. The sinners are, or the, the faithful stay. And she ends by saying, this is a terrible ordeal. She understands it. We need to understand this is a terrible ordeal, but nevertheless, it must take place. It must happen. And it must happen because as we saw last time, it is how God, this is how God is going to strengthen and purify his church. This is why it's important. You know, in Revelation 14, we read about a group of people, a multitude, standing with Jesus on Mount Zion. They have his father's name written on their foreheads, and they sing a song of victory because they've obtained victory. Notice, there is a multitude of people that will obtain victory. Not in their own strength, but by the power of God. Because ultimately, anybody who's saved is saved by the power, love, mercy, and grace of God. That's the only way. And so God wants you to leave this place today today. With the certainty of salvation, we've talked about this. This is why I've talked about the certainty of salvation before, to set this up. Because our salvation is dependent upon him, upon what Jesus has already accomplished. Salvation is a a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, you have a responsibility. You have to stay connected. Abide in Jesus. Place your life in his hands. Trust him no matter what. Obey him because of the love for him. And you'll always be on a secure foundation. You can leave this place. In spite of hearing what we've heard, we can leave this place with our heads high. Because Jesus is our foundation. You don't have to be shaken out. It will happen, but it doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be you. And My friends, you know, we, it's time for us to stop playing around with this. Because Jesus is coming soon. Ready or not, he's coming. And and the foundational secret, again, is receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I know that coming to church does not mean that you've accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so God is calling you. Jesus is appealing to you. He's knocking that door of your heart right now. Because maybe you haven't let him in. He wants to come in and change your life. He wants to transform your life for the better. He wants you to experience what really joy is all about. But you need to open the door. You need to say, Jesus, now, you know, I I haven't really done that, but truly now I want to receive you as Savior and Lord of my life. I want to have the hope. I want to have that joy. Is that you today? Could it be you that you maybe you haven't received Jesus, but you want to say, you know what, it's time for me to stop playing around. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. You can do that right now. And if you need help, we can help you in your journey. Just tell Jesus, just raise your hand where you are. You know, again, it's, it stopped, it's, it's time to stop playing around. We may not have enough time. Remember, tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And this can be your last day on earth. I mean, think about it. Who was, who was expecting these floods last weekend in, in, in here? Nobody was expecting this. It was a sudden, unexpected thing. And I think it was 18 people that died, something like that. 20? This can happen at any time. But if Jesus is your Savior, you are on, 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 a, on a sure foundation. And if you are among those who have received Jesus and are part of this, this, this remnant movement, you want to tell Jesus today, I want to keep my connection to you. I want to hold on to you for dear life. I don't want to let any, anything get in the way from my connection with Jesus. Is that your desire today? Is it? Raise your hand if it is. God is but you know it's true maybe we need help and we're going we're going to ask God for his help so that we will keep that connection yes this will happen it's prophetic it must take place it will take place we can expect it but we can be in a secure foundation today will you stand with me as we ask God to help us oh heavenly father Father, this, this morning you have indeed had a strong message for us. And if we're honest with ourselves, nobody, nobody really likes to be rebuked. We haven't enjoyed the rebuke. But it is clear from what we have seen through your word, through the spirit of prophecy, that the rebuke is needed. We are not what you want us to be. We are not where you want us to be. We are too much like the days of Noah. Oh, Father, forgive us for that. It's true that we've allowed things to get in the way. We've allowed other things to take priority in our life instead of you. Instead of everything related to your kingdom and your agenda for this world in this time. This is why you raised up the Adventist movement. You want something better for us. It is true that we have let you outside of our lives. It is true that we have left you outside of the church and yet you're still knocking because you want to come in and transform our lives and change it. Father, there is somebody here today that has never received Jesus as Savior. And maybe they've been coming to church for a while. Maybe they've been coming to church because Mommy and Daddy bring me to church. They haven't made that decision. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the hearts of everyone here. Well, Father, through your Spirit, reach to that person right now. May this person not wait any longer but say yes to Jesus, yes to your, love, your, your gift of love. Oh, Father, it is the message, the remnant message, the, the, the three angels' message that, that characterizes this movement as your people. And Satan knows that. Satan knows that if he, if he can distract us, If he can have us looking, you know, elsewhere, if we're still, if we're so busy looking at the puppies that we're not looking at the wolf. Oh, Father, he can can have us where he wants. And perhaps, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe he does have us where he wants. Today, Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you yet again, asking your spirit to dwell in our hearts. And Lord, that we may not lose our hold of you. We know that you don't let us go. It is us that let you go. Help us to keep that connection, Lord. Because if we keep your connection, the connection with you, we don't have to be afraid of anything. Yes, we know that the shaking will take place around us, but at the same time, we know that those who stay faithful to you will be the strongest during that time. May each of us here be the strongest during that time. May we not Vacillate. May we not, you know, may we stay sure on the foundation that is Jesus. Give us the power through your spirit. And Lord, may we also, by your grace, by the power that you bestow upon us, tell others about this because this is important that we all hear and understand so that we are prepared to face what's coming. You are indeed our sure foundation. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.